today on Ag News Daily. Yeah, so I serve also as an associate director of the uh, Agricultural Issues Center of the University of California, which uh, studies salient issues uh, on agriculture. So water is certainly an unifying theme for uh, many of the, the things I do. Good morning, ladies and gentlemen, and happy first day of July and also happy 4th of July weekend. Delaney Howell joined this morning by Tanner Winterhoff. And Tanner, what are you doing this weekend for the 4th of July to celebrate America's birthday? Well, it's it's a happy Friday also for our listeners. Oh, we got yes. all the celebrating we get to do. Uh, I will be back home at the farm this weekend. We're going to hit a local campground just outside of of the farming area hang out with family and then come back for fourth of july parade locally here in slater iowa what are you up to i don't have a ton of plans and i'm kind of okay with that but probably gonna i don't know i really have no idea maybe go to a pool we have a couple friends and family members that own pools so i'm sure we'll either be in the pool this weekend or playing golf or honestly just relaxing that sounds nice to me does your neighborhood do a pretty nice fireworks show or do you have to travel for that? Uh, you know what? We've not been here uh, for the couple of years that we've lived here. We've never been here on the 4th of July. Last 4th of July, we got engaged. So we were in Colorado. So uh, I don't know. I do not know the answer to that question, to be honest with you. <laughs> That's all right. You'll get to experience it firsthand for the first time. That's right. And I'm excited. Well, that's great to be excited. Bryce Anderson of DTN has stated here in his article this morning that La Nina will not go away. The cool water phase of the equatorial Pacific Ocean temperature and atmospheric pattern is now in its third year and the summer of 2022 shows the strongest La Nina atmospheric measurement of the multi-year run for this point this year. So you talked a little bit yesterday, Delaney, about what people had seen. This is probably why a lot of our listeners are seeing the same type of weather, weather patterns that they've seen the last couple of years. So that atmospheric component of a La Nina is noted by the Southern Oscillation Index, or referred to as the SOI, which tracks the partnership between the barometric pressure between the island of Tahiti in the Central Pacific Ocean and the city of Darwin in the Northern Australian Territory. So uh, this post comes from climate.gov, but it looks like La Nina is here to stay for the summer of 2022. Yes, and we're definitely seeing that, like you mentioned there, and all the tweets I got yesterday. Going to continue to see that here through the rest of this year, it sounds like at least, Tanner. And that obviously will impact what we see in potential acreage, but more importantly, potential yield numbers after yesterday's quarterly grain stocks and acreage report. It was a little confusing of a report. I'm still reading analysts today that are like, yeah, we're not really sure because, you know, corn and wheat were a fairly neutral report. Soybeans was actually bullish, yet the markets didn't react in that manner. So we'll get to that here in just a moment. But Tanner, one thing we missed earlier this week that we've talked a little bit about, or tease, I should say, was that USDA Secretary Vilsack was in Eastern Iowa earlier this week to tour a few farms, dairy farms, I should say. And out of his visit came an announcement about a new bio waste plan. 
Now, this is a $10 million initiative to help farmers and businesses find uses for waste byproducts, specifically part of the $1 trillion infrastructure law that passed back in November. But Vilsack said that, you know, we already grow and raise corn and livestock, and those products are already getting used. But the waste products of all of that is not. And so they're, I guess, going to try and figure out here how to use that $10 million to specifically target and figure out uses for the waste product of those things. And they said applications are now open for the grant for the next several months, but the grants are not meant to fund these new ventures indefinitely. And they'll serve as a supply chain roadmap for farms, businesses, and publicly financed institutions as a first stop as they develop new products and uses for agricultural waste. Interesting. And I know that there's been a lot of research being done on that front already. So this could be the avenue that farmers are looking for to install the expensive equipment to take on some of these new practices. But there's also good news, at least as the Supreme Court is sending indications. They ruled yesterday that the EPA had ex- uh, exceeded its regulatory reach on a portion of climate change issues. So the Supreme Court voted on a 6-3 rulings in the major questions doctrine that led to more legal scrutiny over the regulations that came from federal agencies, specifically the EPA, affecting agriculture. So this ruling comes from the West Virginia versus EPA case in which states the EPA's authority under the Obama era clean power plan had forced power plants to lower emissions standards that essentially forced power companies to switch from coal to natural gas as renewable energy or a more renewable energy. The rule never went into effect as it was blocked by the courts and even now withdrawn. So still stating that we rely heavily on fossil fuels to pursue this case against the rule, but Supreme Court has now tipped their hand in support of those related to agriculture. So quite interesting to see that the ruling came uh, after the big announcement of an additional justice joining the Supreme Court. Uh, But they're stating that capping carbon emissions to transition away from something in the industry is not sensible and not a solution to the crisis of the day. So Congress does not give EPA that authority to adopt their own such regulatory rules without congressional approval. So Uh, I think the biggest thing coming out of this for our listeners is not that it uh, affects the coal industry, the fact that it gives Congress more power to direct those regulations than the EPA. Well, the EPA has also proposed some new atrazine restrictions, Tanner. Earlier this week, the agency released a proposal for public comment that would place new restrictions on atrazine use to protect aquatic plant species, of all things, which threw me off a little bit. But in December of 2021, the U.S. Court of Appeals for the Ninth Circuit Court in San Francisco granted EPA's request to re-examine atrazine's labeling following a Biden administration order. And that is where we see things today. The public comment period officially opened yesterday, and they will... I think take comments here for the next couple of months before they sit back down, read through those comments and kind of decide where to go next. But of course, groups like the National Corn Growers Association and other commodity organizations are very vocal in their opinion on the new atrazine restrictions proposed. 
Yeah, this would definitely be a good time to reach out to your local politicians uh, or your representatives and those that lobby on behalf of you through our state organizations. Um, I think that would be a probably a pretty smart thing to do once you get through the holiday weekend. But Delaney, maybe part of the news that didn't get reported on that is driving our markets for yesterday and today is that export sales for both beans and corn dropped to marketing year lows. So uh, according to the USDA, corn sales through the seven days that ended on June 23rd reported that 88.8 metric tons uh, or 88,800 metric tons was the lowest in the 2021-2022 marketing year starting September 1. That's down 87% from the previous week and 72% from the prior four-week average. Japan was the biggest buyer at 191,900 metric tons, followed by South Korea and Saudi Arabia. So if you notice, Delaney, there's no China in that category. Soybeans came in at a negative 120,200 metric tons. That is also the lowest for the marketing year versus the 29.3 from the week earlier. So we imported more soybeans than we exported during that same week. So that could possibly be a little bit of the story behind what markets are doing to react to the report yesterday. Yeah, that certainly could be part of it. Some demand destruction, as Ted commented on earlier this week. But uh, before we get to the markets here this morning, Tanner, heading into the opening session, I had one final piece of news I wanted to share, and that's the National Chicken Council. They have restri- they have requested some stricter regulations on mislabeling and misleading labels on meat alternatives. They've been conducting their own nationwide survey regarding consumer attitudes towards chicken and plant-based alternatives. And the, Nick, the National Chicken Council has asked the FDA and the USDA for clearer guidance and enforcement of misleading product labels. They said that during their survey, they surveyed about 1,200 American participants who regularly uh, consumed meat products about Three-fourths of them regularly regularly consumed meat products. And then they had some flexitarians, which I guess are people that eat meat sometimes. Uh, They had vegetarians and also some vegans that they interviewed as well. And their results showed that four in five Americans want clearer product labeling for plant-based products. Because... As we've found out, a lot of consumers don't know all of the differences. And, you know, you see things like even outside of the protein sector, Tanner, non-GMO. That always makes me mad when you see non-GMO slapped on a product where there is no GMO alternative. And so they've really been asking FDA to have some clearer guidelines on that. I think you we've seen the case made for the milk industry as well, because where is there a a teat on an almond is a question, age-old question, Tanner. Yes, uh, that that is quite interesting. And I think I'm going to now identify as a, what do you say, a flexitarian? A flexitarian, uh, yeah, I'm not sure. Yep, I sometimes will eat a salad, but usually it's going to have a protein on it. So um, that's pretty flexible, I would say. <laughs> uh, but the last, last two little pieces that I have for today, uh, I know I had anecdotally reported on a bison in Yellowstone goring a visitor. Well, it turns out if anybody's, familiar with rodeo terms. It's more like hooking. Uh, It was not a goring. However, another headline comes out this morning, uh, bison gores second person in three days at Yellowstone. So for the second time in three days, 
another visitor was uh, touched by a bison. The video though, however, shows very clearly that they were on a uh, sidewalk, a floating sidewalk, right through the middle of Yellowstone, and they were approaching this bison to take a picture less than 10 feet from him. So uh, not, I don't know what you're gonna expect. Like I said, all of us around livestock know that you don't, don't temperament livestock uh, and get in places that are not comfortable. And the last piece that I have here is Lake Mead. Water levels are hit another historic low. The experts right now are saying that Lake Mead, the largest reservoir is now less than 100 feet 150 feet away from reaching Deadpool status. So Delaney, Deadpool status is when the water is so low, so low that it won't flow downstream anymore. Mm -hmm. So Lake Mead's water levels as of June 22nd stood at just over 1,044 feet. Those levels are the lowest it's ever been since it was filled in the 1930s. And the professor Robert Glennon of the University of Arizona says in the last two decades, drought conditions have exacerbated this issue and climate change is necessary or more focus on water preservation needs to be done in the southwestern United States. Kenny, did you mean to say exacerbated? Yes, I think so. Okay. All right. I think you said a different word. Your brain's not quite functioning this morning. Exasperated, exacerbated. There you go. Whatever you said. Sure. Okay. <laughs> it's a Friday. It certainly is, huh? Absolutely. Maybe I just started celebrating the weekend a little bit earlier. Maybe. Are you drinking on the job over there? Well, somebody's got to get it through the day, right? I guess so. You might need a little drink after you see what the commodity markets are doing this morning, because now we're having a complete whiplash from yesterday heading into the opening session. Soybeans are still down hard this morning. I guess it must be related to those export sales numbers you mentioned there, Tanner. Corn is surprisingly up this morning as well as wheat. New crop corn is up just two pennies heading into the opening session here around 622. New crop soybeans down 18 cents, trading around 1439 heading into the opening. And Chicago September wheat up seven and a half cents, trading around 891. Really not sure what markets are doing this morning, but it is a little confusing. Livestock are not so confusing this morning as they're finding their footing. Still trading mixed in the live cattle contract. October down on the day and uh, December trending higher heading into the opening. Live or feeder cattle are up across the board and lean hogs are continuing to slide lower. So that's where we are heading into a three-day weekend, Tanner. So markets will be closed on Monday and things will reopen on Tuesday. So it'll be interesting to see. Might just be some positions squaring up this morning. That could be some of the weakness too. So Tuesday could be a very pivotal day for the livestock and grain markets. Absolutely. Well, we've got one more conversation to share with you this week. So let's jump right into that now. We're chatting with Associate Professor of Civil and Environmental Engineering at the University of California, Josue Medellin Asuera. Josue, thank you so much for joining us today. Thank you so much for the invitation. So you work at the University of California. I believe you said that that was your primary job, but you do a lot of other things. 
within public policy as it relates to water policy specifically, which we'll get to here in a little bit. But tell us, as the Associate Professor of Civil and Environmental Engineering, what are you doing day to day? What are you looking at? I uh, work on water management issues around uh, California, mostly. It's an emphasis on California, but I also uh, conduct research internationally in the U.S.-Mexico border and other semi-arid areas such as uh, Chile uh, and some places in Brazil and Spain and, and, and other areas in the planet. That is probably a job that you see no end in anytime soon uh, because it is such a precious resource to everybody. That is correct. Uh, many uh, things rely on, on water. Agriculture is uh, certainly one of them in, uh, in cities and uh, in ecosystems. So there's a lot of changes happening in terms of uh, water availability around the world. And uh, we uh, are at no shortage of things to study when uh, many of these changes happen. Now, I saw in your bio that you have served in a large variety of different roles, and you're currently with the Public Policy Institute of California talking about water-related issues, but it sounds like you've served in a variety of other roles with NGOs, academia, etc. How have all of those roles led you to pick to be in water specifically? Yes, well, the uh, water is certainly the common theme. Yeah, so I serve also as an associate director of the uh, Agricultural Issues Center of the University of California, which uh, studies salient issues uh, on agriculture. So water is certainly an unifying theme for uh, many of the, the things I do. And uh, irrigated agriculture in California is the uh, first uh, nationwide and in worldwide for some specific commodities. So things that happen to water affect agricultural production in the state and uh, the uh, food supply uh, to the um, U.S. And, and to other parts of the world. So the headlines that we have reported on to our listeners have you know, involved a lot of the agricultural stories and circle a lot around Lake Mead. So where you're at in California, can you kind of give us an overall state of the environment, water supply uh, surrounding you and the territory that you uh, work inside? Absolutely. So uh, the Central Valley of California has uh, between six and seven million acres of land cultivated and is the food basket for many areas of the United States and the world in terms of uh, fruits, nuts, and vegetables and uh, uses about uh, 21 million acre foot of water every year to irrigate crops. So uh, when there's a drought like the one we're um, living right now, we're in the third year of, uh, of drought, reserves of water in the reservoirs and in the and underground are running low, then uh, some adaptations occur in the form of uh, idling land for agriculture, which has some economic impacts in the, uh, in the local economies and also um, uh, the regional economies and also on the food supply uh, chain. So uh, we are likely uh, to see some of uh, these um, uh, climate extremes more frequently and more intensely in the next decades to, to come. And uh, this is something we need to, to manage for. Uh, but um, the climate extremes are not only on the dry side. 
like the one we're living right now. We uh, experience those also on the website. So we can uh, certainly take the opportunities that bring this excess water during the uh, rain events. We, we rely on atmospheric rivers in California for our, most of our water supply for the year and uh, store that excess water underground in order to weather uh, future droughts. Now, it seems like water issues like this, and obviously the West faces a lot more realities of having drought and lack of water than maybe we do here in the Midwest. But I'm trying to think back, how many years have we been talking about water rights in the West and in California, and how have they shifted during your time in the industry? Yeah, the, the uh, water rights systems is, uh, is, is in California and in, in many places in the West is, is rather complex. We have various types of water rights. We have Pueblo rights. We have um, uh, riparian rights. We have uh, prior appropriation doctrine rights. So they all have uh, nuances on how and when to use and how much uh, to use of water and uh, reconciling all those uh, uh, water rights and and uh, and you know allocations uh, statewide and and, and region wide can be uh, very cumbersome. Uh, water agencies in the state oversee uh, some of those efforts. So there's been some uh, modernization of the uh, water rights infrastructure and and uh, administration oversight that have happened on the in the past few decades. Because in uh, in many cases these water rights are over allocated, so water exists in paper but not in in uh, physically. So uh, the uh, state agencies and the federal agencies have to manage for that uh, reality. The Colorado River system, for example, that uh, uh, includes seven states in the United States and two in Mexico, have to uh, deal with this. Uh, over-allocation that occurred when the uh, Colorado River Compact uh, was uh, in effect earlier in the last century. So uh, with uh, the that system is undergoing a 20-year drought uh, now and uh, is dealing with some of the uh, shortages that uh, need to occur in order to accommodate the, uh, uh, the, the, uh, the decreased water supply for agriculture and cities. And when you talk on state level, the agencies that help monitor uh, these water rights and put together, the headlines that we've seen have been uh, about federal level uh, agencies stepping in to guide this process and protect the resource. Does that create an issue locally when federal and Congress are trying to step in and manage a problem that could be handled locally? Well, Speaking for the case of California, we have uh, various levels of government. Some uh, projects are federal, like the Central Valley Project that was built uh, uh, earlier last century. Then we also have the state water project. And then uh, agencies like cities uh, have their own projects or irrigation districts have their own uh, water supply projects. And um, so it's, uh, it's highly decentralized. So there's no uh, single agency that has sole authority on, on water allocation every uh, in a in a given time or or uh, for for the state. So uh, users, including agriculture and cities, and you know, and, and, and environment, um, 
are uh, used to, um, to to deal with this sort of uh, uh, combination of uh, of uh, oversight and and, um, and 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 management of uh, water rights and water allocation. So. I think that's a good place maybe to summarize what we've learned today and and ask this question because, you know, water rights and fighting over water rights is not an issue that's going to go away. In fact, it's only going to continue to be amplified as agriculture, you know, has to continue to fight to do what we do. What do you see happening from a public policy perspective? Well, um, as, as mentioned, these things are not going away, and uh, well, the, uh, there are ways to deal with uh, climate extremes. That's when most of the conflicts uh, happen. Is uh, what do we do when there's a shortage of water? Who gets caught first, mm-hmm. right? So modernizing the uh, the water rights oversight, uh, the water rights system, is something that the state has uh, taken some steps on. And uh, making that uh, information accessible, transparent, and being able to measure also the uh, water uh, that is being used to uh, see what is the land use, land use programs, water measurement or water use estimations can be very helpful to more transparently uh, manage or, or water system. There are uh, many agencies involved in uh, in allocating water. There are conflicting water uses. We have culture, we have cities, we have uh, ecosystems that require uh, water to properly function. So being able to measure, being able to identify opportunities to create this resilience, including groundwater recharge, including uh, reservoir operations that uh, adapt to extreme climates, making a possible exchange of uh, water between users, also, you know, uh, water conservation programs. It's, it's an all of above. We don't have a single strategy to, to cope, and, and uh, there are many things, many nuances that uh, make this uh, a bottom-up approach um, in terms of uh, water management during uh, climate extremes. You know, this has been eye-opening to myself, and I assume to Delaney as well, and probably most of our listeners, uh, because of our Midwest orientation and not having necessarily the water right concern here in the Midwest. We're very blessed for that. But if our listeners want to learn more about what challenges your area is facing, do you have any good resources that they could look up? Absolutely. You can uh, look into the policy briefs from the uh, Public Policy Institute of California. They have a water policy center. So they have very well prepared uh, briefs that are accessible for a broader audience. You can also look into our website, this drought.ucmerced.edu. That is our project with the uh, California Department of Food and Agriculture that is looking into the economic uh, impacts of, of uh, droughts and, and managing for, for those droughts and well. Uh, also look into the uh, agency's website in, in which uh, the California Water Resources Control Board is the uh, agency that oversees water rights and water quality in the state. Perfect. Well, thanks, Josue, for jumping on the podcast with us. We appreciate you coming and sharing your knowledge with our listeners. Thank you very much. 
Well, there you go, listeners. A update that, again, you guys had requested. So we appreciate you letting us know. Again, you can find us at Ag News Daily on all social media platforms. And tag us in your 4th of July celebrations, Delaney. Maybe they can make us jealous of their fireworks show and what them and their families have got to do this weekend. That's true. I hope everybody has a great 4th of July weekend. We will not see everyone on Monday, but we will see you right back here on Tuesday. Tanner, with that, should we let the people go? Let's let the people go.